Listen, I am, I know, I'm headed to Atlanta like immediately after this, so I'm getting my like southernness ready. Okay, so that's why we start with a big old hey y'all as opposed to hey yens. <laughs> Man, it's so good to see you guys. I feel like you know, I don't know, like you know how some of your family goes off to college and you're like, oh, have a good time at college. But then you long for like the times when they come home from college and you sit together in the living room and make jokes and be together. Um, that's how I feel sometimes being, being separated. But I know it's good. I know that what the Lord is doing in the Franklin Avenue campus and in the Crestmont campus coming into its identity as a birthing, mothering church is a good thing. Um, but it just is painful sometimes, you know? So it's good to be with the other half of my family. Y'all been all right? Most of y'all? Half of y'all? Okay. It's okay. Uh, the other half, I'll pray for y'all. All right. Let me, um, let, me, let me talk to the Lord real quick. Uh, Jesus, whew, you are our Father. Man, we just restart by receiving your love. I don't want to rush that. You're so good. Hmm. Hallowed be your name, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, if you've been here, then you know that we've been going through this series of the Lord's Prayer. There's a piece in Scripture where the disciples come up to Jesus and say, hey, can you teach us how to pray? Which is interesting because these are people who have been praying for a really long time. I don't know why they felt like this was significant, but I think um, Christine might have said something like this. I, I listened to part of what she shared, but they knew he had something in prayer that they didn't have yet. And so even though they had been praying for a long time, they were like, you have something different. Can you give us what you have? So that's how we got into this story, because we, like the disciples, are also asking, Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, give us what you have. So um, the scripture passage, I'll read it to you, but we just prayed it. Um, it's Matthew 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 6. If you have a cell phone, you can Google Matthew 6. If you have a friend, you can just look on day stuff. All right. Uh, Matthew 6, 9 through 13 says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This one isn't, this uh, part of the gospel isn't the one that says, for thine is the kingdom and the power, but that's my favorite one. I love that part because his is the kingdom. Yep, so you can go back um, for a second. That's what, well, I guess you can leave it up there. That's what we're going to preach about. That's my section today. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we get to that, I want to highlight something that I saw in the scripture because I'm really big about like looking at what's going on in the context of the scripture. It's really weird to come into the middle of a sentence and not know what's going on. Christine talked about that last week, talking about the different movies. If you start in the middle of the movie, you're not going to know what's going on. Same thing for this. So... This passage of scripture um, is right 
in between a couple other things that Jesus is saying. Um, he says to them, when you pray, go pray in secret, secret so that your father who sees in secret might reward you. And don't throw up a whole bunch of words thinking that that's going to make you be received by the Lord. Because that's what the Gentiles do. But pray to your father who knows what you need before you even ask. Those are the couple of passages before um, he teaches them how to pray. And then after that, he continues to say, don't heap up a whole bunch of words. Don't pray so that you would be seen by others. Don't fast so that you might be seen with others. So the Lord's Prayer is right in between these, um, these two kinds of passages. And I was like, Lord, why did you nestle that in the middle of those two things? And I don't know all the answers, but what I have come to um, is, man, those are things that are not genuine forms of connection, those are ways to connect that are a little bit more manipulative. Like it reminds me of um, back in the day when I lived at my mom's house. I would, you know, there'd be times where I'd want to do something like I want to go to the mall with my friends or I want to buy something or I just needed something from her. But I didn't feel like I could just come up and ask, hey, mom, can I have $20 to go to the mall? Because she probably would say no. So, or I thought she was going to say no. So I had to find a way to ask her so that she might say yes. Yeah. So I come in, she's sitting down working on her computer. I'm like, hey, mom, how you doing? And she's like, hey. I'm like, uh, how's your day going? She's like, oh, it's going good. That's good. That's good. What you working on? She's like, I'm doing emails. Oh, okay. Who you email? What do you want? At a certain point, she would just be like, what do you want? Okay? Because you don't care about how my day was. You don't even know who, if I told you who I was emailing, you wouldn't even know. So you don't care. And I would be like, ah, oh, yeah, you're right. Um, I just, can I go to wherever? And then she would eventually say yes or no. But the reason I came to my mom like that is because I just didn't believe that I could just come that I could just access her desire, her, like her desire for me would be yes, that it would be I could go, I could receive, whatever. So I felt like I had to kind of manipulate that a little bit. And that is what he's saying the people do with the Lord. And he's like, don't do that. He's your father. He knows what you need. His heart towards you is good. Just come. Just come to the table and he's going to give you everything. He never withholds his hand from you. So come to the table. So that is the beginning of this. It is like forfeiting all non-genuine connection and seeking genuine, intimate connection. You approach this prayer from a place of genuine connection, knowing that you have a father who loves you and who is committed to doing what's best for you and his kingdom. So that's the beginning context of this. It's, it's genuine connection. So then he goes, pray like this, our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name. Your name is esteemed more highly than any other name. And at Franklin Avenue, Wes preached, uh, hallowed be your name. And he put Jesus's different names in the your name part. And one of the ones he preached was hallowed be friend of sinners. That thing struck me. Woo, because, you know, I don't know if I'm always a friend of sinners. I guess I think I'm not a sinner, but <laughs> it's messy. Sometimes I'm like, oh, you sure you want to do that? That's making me feel uncomfortable. Can you do that over there? <laughs> but Jesus is the friend of sinners. And so Wes was preaching, hallowed be your name. All your names that you describe yourself as, those names, Lord, are holy. And Jesus is the name that is holier and esteemed more highly than any other name that exists. It's the one that deserves all glory and all honor forever and ever. Amen. All right. So now we get to your kingdom come. Y'all tracking with me? Y'all with me at your kingdom come? 
Can y'all nod? It's kind of hard. I know y'all don't speak, but can you just get some nods so I know what's going on? (laughs) Okay. Thank you, bro. All right. So as I was studying your kingdom come, your will be done, um, I use Blue Letter Bible or the Blue Letter Bible app because it tells you some of the Greek words and some of the origins. If you go down two slides. Um, and I came across this, this thing. <laughs> so the word for kingdom that's used in this passage is basilia. Can y'all say that? Basilia. Oh, y'all did so good. Look at y'all. Like y'all took Greek. Okay, so basilia is the word for kingdom in this passage of scripture. And it describes it in two ways. If you're talking about it as an abstract kind of concept, an intangible one, it talks about rule or rulership. If you're talking about it more concretely, it's a realm. And that, if we go to the next one, that is, I think, the crux of what I'm going to tell you about today. When we talk about the kingdom of God, it is twofold. It's the rule of the Lord, which is Jesus's perfect government and authority. And it's the realm, which is a physical, tangible location. And I don't want to miss that. Like when we're praying your kingdom come, it's important that we recognize that it's both. It is an abstract thing that's coming, but it also is a physical, tangible place. And I'll break down both of those for you as we keep going. So let's talk about the rule first. All right, so the rule of the Lord, uh, when we pray your kingdom come and the kingdom of God comes, it does two, one of two things. I mean, I guess he could do a third thing, but I only had two. It dethrones all other rulers, and it establishes his lordship authority. So let's talk about what it's like for Jesus to dethrone all other rulers. Um, There's a passage in 1 Samuel 5, 4, and I'm going to read it to you because, man... To me, this feels like, I hope this is not offensive. This feels like the most gangster passage I feel like I've read in a really long time. It just feels like, oh, oh, Jesus, you are really, you're really about this life. Yeah, (laughs) Diane said he's dope. (laughs) All right, let me read it to you. So what happened, what had happened was um, the ark of God had been taken by the Philistines And they had taken it into their temple of their god, Dagon. And so they got the Ark of our God sitting on like a pedestal or something. And then they have Dagon, their god, in front of it. And Dagon was like 15 feet tall. I was reading it. I was Googling it. He was like 15 feet tall, 15 feet wide, you know, um, wingspan. So when I first read this, I was thinking like a little miniature statue that you might get at a gift shop. But this is not that. You would not buy this from a gift shop. You would have this like scent with many men to carry it. And some women, you know, if they really wanted to. Um, so it's a massive statue. And then the ark of God is there. And so verse 4 says, actually, I'm going to start a little bit before that. I'll start at the beginning. It says, when the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashad. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashad rose the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him back at his place. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off 
on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priest of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon to this day. At the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashod. And it goes on later on, I won't read all of this to you, but it goes on to say the people of uh, Dagon, Ashod, they were like, get this thing out of here because you have beheaded our God in this temple where nobody else is. They all sleep in. You wake up and your God is laying face down, head cut off, hands cut off in front of the ark of the Lord. That, for me, becomes a picture of what is happening in the spirit for every other ruler that tries to exalt itself above the throne of God. The problem with demons and idols and other rulers that can't hear, that can't see. And he, he highlighted that by cutting his head off. So that's one thing that happens when the kingdom of God comes. That's Old Testament. Let's read about what happens when the kingdom of God comes in the New Testament. He's the same God, um, but you need to hear it from both covenants. So Romans 1 and 29 says, oh, this is, this is him um, talking about some of the rulers that were present today. He's talking about um, some of the other things that we have allowed to rule in our lives. So it's not just always physical, tangible gods. It's not just like, don't, don't mess with a little statue of somebody else's god. Or boycott Starbucks or whatever <laughs> things you want to think of. It's not just that. There are other rulers and principalities that will try to exhort themselves or exalt themselves above the name of the Lord. So some of them mentioned here... It says, um, and the people were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, haters of God, insolence, haughtiness, boastfulness, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents, foolishness, faithfulness, heartlessness, and ruthlessness. As I've been uh, spending time here in this community, I've learned a little bit more about deliverance, and I've gone through some deliverance myself. Um, and if you haven't, deliverance is the children's bread. Like, you shouldn't have to suffer. If you're a child, deliverance is for you. Um, but as I've, I've sat here, man, a lot of times as, we're, as people are getting free and the kingdom of God is moving into their lives, what we'll hear coming out of them is some of these same words. It's malice, it's deceit, it's chains, it's lies. A lot of times it's not Dagon. A lot of times it's this kind of stuff. When the kingdom of God moves in, all these other things that were from your former master who would say in your former kingdom start to move out. He has to drive out every other thing that's not like him. So he moves in and then all of a sudden you're free from malice. And somehow you have the capacity to love this person that you once hated. Or somehow you're free from envy and then you feel established and secure in your identity. That's what happens when the kingdom of God moves in. He dethrones all other rulers because we hallowed his name. His name is the, the one that's above every other name. So the other thing that happens when his rulership comes is he establishes his lordship authority. This one, um, I want to look at Mac, uh, Mark. I was going to call him Mac, but I don't know who that is. <laughs> I was gonna, uh, let's look at Mark to highlight some of him establishing his lordship. Matthew, Mark, Luke. All right. 
Matthew 3, 7. It says, oh, Jesus is, uh, let me give you some context. Jesus is walking around healing people. Okay, that's the context. Chapter 3, verse 7 says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great cloud followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea. Okay, we're going to keep going. And from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when a great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told the disciples to have a boat ready because of the crowd, lest they crush him. So then it continues on. Oh, let's go back a little bit. Okay. Let's start at the top of chapter 3. Because he goes on to talk about the 12 disciples and establish them and people blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But what I want to highlight is actually before that. The Lord, <laughs> the Lord was meeting with this man who had a withered hand. And when they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath or that they, so that they could accuse him, he said to him, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful, for, is it lawful on the Sabbath to, go, to do good or to do harm, to save or to take a life? And then they were silent. He looked around at them with anger and grieved at the hardness of their hearts. But then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. I don't know. I, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but in this passage, what it just said is that somebody's hand grew out. Like they had a shriveled up hand and it unshriveled before these people's eyes. That's part of him coming in to establish his lordship authority. When he comes in, the things that once caused sickness, which doesn't come from the kingdom of God, have to move out and his lordship is established and his lordship comes with healing and it comes with wholeness, not just healing, but total wholeness. It's, it's, it's not just that um, his hand felt better, but that it was restored to the rightful functioning that it had before. Like, that's his establishment of his lordship. It's not just making you feel better, though it is that, but it is the restoration of all things as he comes. There's another scripture that I won't read to you, but it's uh, Jesus talking to this man who's demon-possessed. And it says, it's, it's uh, the one that's up there, Mark 5, it says that he was so demon-possessed that when people would try to ch chain him or bind him, he would just break the chains free. And he was so sad and just having a hard time. He lived in a cemetery. I used to go to school next door to a cemetery. I think the college was like, we'll get some cheap land. Like, let's build our college next door to a cemetery. And so the, the parking lot between the dorms and all the buildings and then where you could park your car was right next to the cemetery. So if you, ha and you couldn't walk, you couldn't drive on campus. So you would have to, whatever time of night you was coming in, you would have to drive your car and park at the parking lot and then walk past this dark cemetery to the college. First of all, that was not a fun experience. It was a different time in my life, so I was often coming in at 2 or 3 in the morning, and it's dark, and I got to walk past a cemetery at like 19 years old. I was like, Lord, I don't know if I was praying before I parked my car, but after I parked my car, I was like, Jesus, please keep me. This is creepy. This is terrifying, having to walk past. I'll be walking fast, you know. <laughs> I, just don't. Oh, I was in shape then because, man, running past 
that cemetery. But it says this man was so demon possessed that he chose to live in a cemetery. Pass. Hard pass. I'm not doing that. And he would, they said that, that he would scream, and I read an article that was saying the sound would be terrifying of him screaming and echoing against the walls of the, the cliffside. The people in the town would be terrified just hearing this man out here screaming. And Jesus comes to meet this man who is at the very bottom of the barrel, maybe underneath the barrel. And he comes to the man and he says, come out of him, you unclean spirit. What's your name? And the spirit says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And they, they begged him not to send them out of the country. This is interesting. This is such a role reversal because these demons have terrorized this man and these people. Like by just making screams and sounds and you just being creepy. Stop it. He has, this, this demon has terrorized these people. But when Jesus steps in, the demon begins to beg. Please, Lord, don't send us out of the country. And so you've heard this story. He sends them out into the pigs, and the pigs rush over the cliff and kill themselves. This is the Lord's lordship authority, and it's so good because, man, it would be hard for me to believe that nobody in the city had ever heard of God. It would be hard for me to believe that nobody who knew this man who was super demon-possessed had heard from God, and yet they were powerless, as was he, against this thing that was happening. But Jesus didn't repeat himself to this thing. He walked in, he said, come out. And that was it. And I need that. I need you to be that, Jesus, because otherwise I'm going to be running through the parking lot trying to get to my dorm faster. If you don't come up with your lordship authority, I have no authority over these kinds of things. They would utterly destroy me. But thank God that he shares his authority with us and that he desires for us to bear his name just like he bears his name. So that's part of what happens when the kingdom of God comes, when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. He comes to establish his rule and he dethrones all other rulers. One of my favorite manifestations of this that happens in our body a lot, when we're doing upper room, we're usually just praying through the Lord's prayers and stopping and looking around and seeing what is in a specific place. How many names are there for you, God? Let's see them. That's what we usually do in upper room. But one of my favorite manifestations of the Lord is when we're praying his kingdom come, and he comes, people start just laughing. Have y'all noticed this? My husband is, the, I think, the king of laughing in the spirit. Like, I feel like that is the number one manifestation for Devante. And it's, it's because, like, when he establishes his kingdom, he brings everything from his kingdom with him, which is joy. So you could have been downcast in your spirit. Lord, why have you forsaken me? But then his kingdom comes, and you're overcome with this laughter, and you're like, where did this come from? And it's from his kingdom. He's establishing his rulership in your heart to give you a hope and a future. He's, he's establishing you. And it's beautiful. So we need this, and everything we found, we need is found in this. So that's the first part. He comes and he establishes the rule. The second part, I'm going to speak on a little bit more, um, I guess, candidly, because this has been burning in my heart, and it's not even fully formed yet, because who can really preach on the kingdom? Like, how can you really explain this thing that Jesus only talked about in parables? Like, who can really? But I'm going to share with you what I've been receiving from this idea. So the other part of this is the realm. 
there is the physical or the abstract presence of God that comes with his rulership and shifts everything. But then there is also a physical realm that will once come, that we will, we will be a part of. I was driving in my car and I was thinking, like, what's an example of this? And it hit me. <laughs> Devonta's going to uh, pick on me for this, but... He has been picking on me lately because now that I've been spending more time in Beaver County, some Beaver County has begun to infiltrate me. You know, I know. Oh, no, I love it. I, I think it's funny. So, like, if you are, <laughs> if you're asking a question, what I've noticed, if you're from Beaver County or even Pittsburgh, you're asking a question, <laughs> don't pick on me for this accent. Um, you might say something like, are you going downtown? And you would go, it would go up at the end. Are you going? Are you going downtown? What's tan? Y'all say that. It's, it's not town. It's tan. Like T-A-U-N. <laughs> but I've started to do that. Are you going to the store? Are you going to the mall? And I think that's Beaver County. But in Atlanta, it, it's, it's more like, where are you going? Are you going to the mall? Are you going to the movies? It's like a totally different sound, but I've, I'm starting to be like infiltrated by Beaver County sound. And the more I spend time here, the more I realize I'm like picking up different ways of being. I'm eating Max Donuts more. It's just, it's a thing, you know? I'm referring to Dunkin' with just one, one name as opposed to Dunkin' Donuts. Now I'm headed to Dunkin'. That's not a thing. We don't even have Dunkin' Donuts like that in the South. We don't, we don't care about them. But I do. I'm, I'm like, what you doing this morning? Going to Dunkin'. And so that's, that's my life now. So Beaver County is way, right? It's a, it's a way of being. But you can also physically drive to Beaver County. And you'll hit this, the line, and then you'll be in Beaver County. So it's both this idea, but also a physical, tangible place that has characteristics, and it's the same with the kingdom of God. It is a way that is more abstract and more cultural, but it is also a physical, tangible place. And I want to read about this place for you because, man, this is good news. Anybody can use some good news today? All right, let me give you some. So, Revelations 21. Revelations has a lot of stuff in it that I'm not going to preach about. You should sit down with somebody wiser than me and read through that if you want to. I'm just going to talk about this little section. This is when Jesus um, has beat up Satan, dethroned him, and now he's come back on this white horse and he has established his rulership. Like, this is the end. This is the time where we're going to reign with him for e eternity. Chapter 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying from the throne, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will be with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. My God. That's the kind of good news that my heart needs. Like, he's talking about a physical, tangible city. 
And in this city, there's no more mourning, crying, pain, for all former things have passed away. As I was studying this, I kept reading through it, um, and towards the middle of this passage, it starts to describe the city. In verse 16, it says, the city lies four square. Its length and its width are the same. And it's measured with a city, uh, the and he measured the city with a rod of 12,000 stadia. Its length and its width and height are equal. He also measured its walls, 144 cubits by human measurements, which is also an angel's measurement. That's 216 feet. Devontae and I are arguing about language. Like, we don't know what it means, but we think that this scripture is saying that angels are 216 feet tall. I'm not sure, but I see why they say, don't be afraid. That's terrifying. And the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the walls of the city are adorned with every kind of jewel. And then it goes on to name all the kinds of jewels. Man, in Aliquippa, we thank God when they fix some of the potholes. In heaven, the, <laughs> the city was pure gold like clear glass. This is important for me to hear because this is a tangible place with measurements and descriptions of how it was built. It's not just an abstract reality that we're coming into or some like hopeful desire in our heart. Like what he's building is a tangible place that we will live in with him and with our brothers and sisters. And that is the good news. I put up here, this is our real home. It's not this place. Though I love Aliquippa and I thank God for being here, this is not our real home. The home that we're longing for is this place. Like, I've been so excited lately to head back to Atlanta. I've been telling people I'm excited to go back to where the customer service is bad and the food is good. I'm excited to go back to where it feels like home, you know, where it feels like familiar for me. But as I've been sitting with the Lord with this homesickness, he's been bringing up for me that the homesickness that I'm longing for is really not unfamiliar places or familiar places. It's this. It's this place where I know that my neighbor is not crying or hurting or having pain, that I'm not at funerals grieving with my brothers and sisters whose friends and family have died. It's, it's this place that we're longing for, where everything has been made right again. It's a deeper kind of homesickness. Chapter 22 says, Then the angel showed me a river of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, through the middle of the city and on the street. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life was there with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. Fruit every month. I hate when I go to Aldi and stuff is not in season. Like, I hate that. Yeah, I hate when the strawberries are out of season or I go to Aldi and it's not cherry season, so I can't get a bag of cherry. I hate that. I want all the fruit to be in season all year long. If I want a mango in the winter, I want a mango. <laughs> but it says all 12 kinds of trees are there yielding fruit every single month. And the leaves of the trees are healing the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be there no more, and they won't need a light of a lamp or the sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign with him forever. 
It's a physical, tangible place that we're longing for. It's a home, and it's the restoration of all things. It makes sense to me as I read this that he mentions this tree of life again, and that the leaves will heal the people because before the leaves hid your shame. And before it was these very trees that caused you to head towards sin, but now these trees are healing you and feeding you every single month. You can come, John, if you want to. I'm, I'm you know, at the end of this. Um, I just want to highlight that as we pray for the kingdom of God to come, we are praying for both to happen. We are asking for the now and aligning with the not yet. The now is that right now today when the kingdom comes, he can heal your sorrow. He can speak good news to your broken heart. He can establish himself in you. He can heal your body. He can raise your body from the dead. Like right now, it means all of those things. But also it is us positioning ourselves in alignment with all of heaven and all the saints before us. Lord, come quickly. I was just saying this with Michael earlier. Lord, come quickly. Come establish your city again and bring us to the city. Don't just leave us down here. Bring us to this city. I want to see glass instead of potholes. I want to see healing instead of brokenness. I want to see joy instead of tears. Mm -hmm. Even as I um, said that, I was thinking about like the places where we long for our family members to come know God. The ones who just don't they don't know him yet. They don't have this yet. It's imperative that we pray the kingdom over them so he can come and heal and satisfy and restore them, but also so that they come to the tangible place with us. If it grieves your heart, you are in complete alignment because that's what happens with the Father too. It says, hey, finally, the dwelling place of God is with his people. And he's their God and they're his people. That's what he longs for. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying that his kingdom and his rulership will be established, but also that he would connect with us, that he'd take us to this place that we're longing for. I'm going to uh, pray for you guys, and then John is going to close up the service. Jesus. I pray for two things that you would either create longing in us if there isn't longing yet if it feels like too far away to believe that there's a place where all this stuff would be healed or if it feels too unrealistic to think that your heart could be restored now in this moment your body could be restored God I pray that you birth a longing in us for that a new hunger and a new desire in us to cry out for that. You never despise anyone who cries out, Lord. And so I pray that you would build a desire in us to begin to cry out for you to come, for ourselves, for our family, for our friends. But then also, Lord, um, if there is already longing for this place in you, then God, I pray that you would satisfy it. 
that you'd fill it up, God. The Bible says that the hungry you satisfy with good things. So come and satisfy us, Lord, with your kingdom today. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Kiara. Um, as Kiara was sharing today, the, the, the thought that came to my mind was um, that sometimes one of the enemy's greatest attacks or the ways that he operates is not not just to make us do like the wrong thing, but he makes us passive. Um, and passivity, you know, I see this in my own life. Like the times where I just think like, uh, I just kind of let, sit back and let things happen. Um, but actually the prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done is a way that we cooperate with the Lord. Because it's still true that it's like, it's God's work. He brings his kingdom. There's the parable of, you know, the seed is planted and then the farmer doesn't know how, but then there's this great garden that gets planted and a great harvest. And it wasn't really the work of the farmer. Like he just planted the seed and then God made all the growth and the harvest happen. That's his job, right? But the farmer still had to plant that seed. And it, it, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Um, and, and the mustard seed is this small thing that we offer, the small piece of faith, the small step of obedience. And then the Lord turns it into this great bush that houses all these birds and all this life that's in there. So God, God does all the work, but it's our chance to partner with God and plant the seed or take the step of obedience or faith or whatever God is asking us to do to pray your kingdom come and your will be done. And the, and the enemy wants us to just kind of remain passive and let things happen, not to take up our own authority, not to participate in this prayer. Um, and just to, and, and just kind of like to coast. Um, and so I, I just, uh, thank you Kiara for that uh, message this morning. And, uh, and if that's hitting you, like I just like, there's some places where I need to see God's kingdom come and his will be done. Um, and I need to like participate in that and cooperate with the Lord in that. Then, um, we're going to, I just want to invite prayer ministers up right now. So if you're a prayer minister, um, either signed up for today or you're able to serve, then come on up to the front. Um, and if you want some people to intercede with you, to go after the kingdom of God coming, um, then you're welcome to come up and join others in praying as we dismiss, um, Jesus, we just believe um, that you take the very little that we offer and you do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. We believe that you are at work in our lives. Um, we believe that you are working good things. So Lord, your kingdom come in our hearts this morning. Your kingdom come with desire. Your kingdom come with longing. Your kingdom come with victory. Your kingdom come with freedom over sin, over shame. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, would you open up heaven and let heaven come to earth over our hearts, over our lives, over our families, over whatever troubles us, God, over whatever things that we have on our minds this morning, would your kingdom come and your will be done. And Lord, we take up our place in that and cooperate with you and petition. 
but we ask as those who come to a father that loves him. Thank you, Jesus. Bless us as we go, Lord. Bless the places that um, we are entering into this week, whether it's um, rest or whether it's work, whatever it is, God, would you make us a blessing to the people around us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.